0: this morning to week two of the advent conspiracy as we wrap up our christmas season and head into christmas week i want to just review last week we talked about the need to worship fully as part of this advent conspiracy and, and we established that to worship fully really means to obey wholeheartedly it's not just singing loud. It's not just raising your hands in church. It's, it's obedience to God and his word with all of your heart. That's what worship is. And praise God, there are many in our midst in America who do just that. They worship fully. They obey wholeheartedly. But, you know, there are competing worldviews in our culture. There are competing belief systems that would lead us astray from the worship of the one true and living God, do you know what the fastest-growing religion is in America today? It's not Christianity. <laughs> Actually, statistics say that Christianity is on the decline in Western culture, especially in America. And interestingly, and I'm twisting this just a little bit to make a point. It's not Islam, although Islam is is growing. The symbol of this deeply entrenched belief system is neither the cross nor the crescent, but the dollar sign. That's the fastest growing religious system in the United States today. It is this ever expanding belief system called radical consumerism. It promises power and pleasure and fulfillment to anyone who would embrace it with a pure devotion. This particular worldview, this belief system of radical consumerism makes some transcendent claims about itself as well. And the most powerful and seductive claim that it makes is that um, material possessions can and will elevate us above our current situation and circumstances and in the process bring us peace and fulfillment and joy. Now, if you don't believe me, pay attention to the advertising. Pay close attention to the ads. One ad this Christmas has the latest technology on this print ad wrapped with a nice red bow on it. And the caption says, the ultimate gift. Another ad screams at us, the gift that will thrill everyone. And and who who among us doesn't want to make everybody happy? just run out and buy 100 of those and start handing them out to people, right? If you buy this, here's the message, you will be hip, cool, accepted, loved, adored. You'll be a good parent, a good husband, a good wife, a good partner. They are lies. Those are lies, plain and simple. You see, the advertising can't deliver on what is promised. And though our flesh longs in the moment To get and and to receive and to open and enjoy, we all know from experience that that doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's not transcendent. It has no staying power, and yet we buy, 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 buy anyway. So consumer spending uh, accounts for about 70% of our economy nationally. The system that's in place will urge you on, even if you're not in great shape financially. It's like, just buy yourself out of debt. (laughs) No, that's not how this works. And for many of you, you, you see the inherent flaw in the system. But for others of us, the lure is just too appealing it's too appealing. It's, it's, it's the hook that's set in the jaw like a fish on a line. And as a culture, as a whole, what we've done is we've taken that bait and we've swallowed it. And now we're on the line and we're being reeled in uh, by, by the advertising culture and by the, the consumer mentality. So let me ask you a question. Do you remember the gifts you received at Christmas in 2018? Just think about it for a minute. I can maybe recall one or two. What about 2017? Do you remember what you got for Christmas in 2017? What about 2016? Why not? Why can't we remember? Because the newness fades, as does our level of joy and contentment. It's what I call emotional entropy take uh, Newton's second law of thermodynamics and apply it to our emotions, things wear out and our feelings go away. Our feelings go away. That should immediately remind us that this world is not our home. This world is not our home in its current state as a fallen place. It cannot provide the contentment that we are longing for deep down inside. And so happiness fades quickly. I challenge anybody here, like tell me a gift you received last year that is continuing to bring you the same level of joy and contentment as it did on the day that you received it. You can't. You can't. In relationship with Jesus, it's the only place where our hearts find true contentment. So if we're going to worship fully by obeying wholeheartedly and we agree to spend less and give generously as we are talked about in this Advent conspiracy of ours? Does that mean that we just totally forgo gift giving and we we don't spend any money at Christmas and and don't give or receive Christmas gifts? The answer to that question is no. No. Because this is ultimately not so much about spending as it is about overcoming our impulses to seek for contentment in money and stuff. We don't stop giving gifts to people or receiving gifts, but we need to shift our thinking. And, and so in contrast to that reality, we find that actually generosity is the thing that's called for because generosity begets generosity. And I, I know I, I mentioned this earlier during the generosity moment, but I firmly believe, man, God is opening a door for us at Stanwood uh, Cinemas. And, and it's been, I believe, I was thinking about this this week and praying about this, I believe that the door that is opening for us has been called, cultivated by the generosity of our church collectively, our collective generosity, our corporate generosity. In this little church of about 50 people on a good Sunday, we have moved from 10% to 15% now in year three, trying to give away 20% of our income as a church to the building of the kingdom. you know. Locally, we, we support Safe Harbor Free Clinic here in Stanwood, which helps the uninsured and underinsured. It's a team of medical professionals who donate their time to care for people who either can't afford it or, or don't have insurance at all. We and In the area of church planting, we invest in Adelphia, a gap year Bible program, future church planters and pastors and church leaders. We're, we're trying to build those folks up. Uh, I'm coaching some church planters right now because this church affords me the opportunity to do that as a church planting pastor. In the area of missions, I don't know if you're all familiar, our two main focuses right now in Japan, we have Satoshi and Nozomi Ueno and their new baby, and, and they are loving people to Jesus in one of the hardest mission fields in the world today. And then we've, we've adopted Daniel and Primula Salim in uh, Lahore, Pakistan, and I'm actually planning a trip in 2020 to go and be with them for a week or two. And, and every time I get to preach in Pakistan, via Skype people are coming to know Jesus and it's just crazy we are investing ourselves fully and as we prepare to move into San with sinners, we're finding out we're going to be right smack dab in the middle of 120 families coming into our community and do you like do you not think that's the Lord That's God. We've been investing in the capital K kingdom as a church since our inception, not just our little K kingdom. And I believe God's honoring that faith investment right here in our midst. It is an open door to walk through being provided by the grace and goodness of God. As we collectively as a church body continue in generosity God is being generous to us in response and 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 this is so this is what it looks like collectively what what we're doing is modeling for every one of you individually what it looks like to live by faith so that all of us individually are choosing generosity for our families the way that our church is modeling generosity as a body and so we'll, we're aiming for 20% here at the end of year 3 and man what a wild ride what a wild ride to try to outgive the living god you know you just can't you can't do it so let's let's look once more at the advent texts this morning in the gospels and let's get our bearing on what it means to celebrate jesus by worshiping fully spending less and giving generously and so if you have your mobile device uh, you version app if you go to events there's a mass road and you can follow along or if you have your paper paper bible we're going to jump around in luke and matthew in the christmas texts in the gospels so luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What constitutes a good gift? What constitutes a good gift? Is it the amount of money spent? Does the gift have to come from a special particular store to be a good gift? Does that gift need to be incredibly practical to be a good gift? Or should it be extravagant in order to be a good gift? Does it matter how much thought was put into the gift? Does that gift communicate the love of the giver? Those are all really good questions to ask when we're thinking about what constitutes a good gift. You see, God's good gift of Jesus, which is the whole point of Luke chapter two, accomplishes all of the things I just mentioned, all the criteria I just laid out. Jesus was and is the most costly gift in the universe. This gift that was given came from the most exclusive place imaginable. It's the most extravagant gift conceivable. Well, how Jesus is also the most practical gift possible. An incredible amount of thought and intentionality went into this gift. And there's nothing in all of history, past or future, that communicates more love than this gift Jesus is the good and perfect gift from the Father to fallen humanity at Christmas time. What a beautiful reality for us to try to emulate. And then we skip over to Matthew chapter 1. Let's continue to read in verse 18. The text in Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now Jesus, or Yeshua, means salvation. His name means salvation. You go all the way back to Isaiah 12, verses 2 to 6. And Isaiah, speaking prophetically from the Lord, says, Behold, God is my salvation. Yahweh is Yeshua. If you're just going to translate the Hebrew, some Aramaic application there. But God is Yeshua. I will trust, I will not be afraid, Isaiah says, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Isaiah goes on to say, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praise to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. What a powerful prophecy from Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Uh, uh, Back up a few chapters to Isaiah uh, chapter 7, and you, you get this prophecy. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and she'll call his name Emmanuel. And we know that Emmanuel means God with us or God near to us, that God, the the infinite God of the universe would condescend to come down and dwell among us as one of us. What a beautiful coupling of concepts. Jesus is salvation for us. Emmanuel, God, near to us. I mean, to save us is one thing, right? For God to save humanity is one thing. To satisfy the penalty of our sins such that we might be free from sin and death ourselves, that's a marvelous reality. That's salvation. But for Emmanuel, for God to draw near to us, To become one of us, to to open the way for relationship and proximity to God, that's mind blowing on another level. What an amazing, good, and perfect gift from the Father. If we keep going over into Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we read these verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When they saw that star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So the shepherds uh, we read about last week and the magi we read about this week set an example for us. They set an example for us in the same vein that God has already given this good gift to us. But both groups, the shepherds and the magi, seem dead set on telling other people what they had seen and heard. They just can't shut up. They just can't stop talking about Jesus. It's almost like he had upended their lives and turned them upside down, and just, it's like God came into the world or something. They just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And from both ends of the spectrum in terms of socioeconomic status, you've got shepherds over here, dirty, filthy. They, they, they raise and keep the sheep which are needed for the offerings in the temple, but they're so dirty uh, socially, they're considered so dirty, that they can't participate in the ritual. They weren't allowed. So you got these guys on the low end of the spectrum. You've got magi coming out of the area formerly known as Babylon, that that empire riding across the desert with, with these extravagant gifts, both groups given the opportunity to make Jesus known, take the opportunity every time. There's nothing about your socioeconomic status that should keep you from telling people about Jesus. You get the whole spectrum here. Some speaking to peasants, some speaking to kings, and you and I have the ultimate gift we're sharing it we're free to share it with the people around us and it doesn't require going into financial debt how beautiful is that matthew 10:8 jesus says freely you have received now freely give it's free what are you going to do with the ultimate gift this advent season what we're really talking about as part of our advent conspiracy is this call to spend less and to give generously We need fewer presents and more presents. Did you track with that? Did I put it on the screen? Fewer presents and more presents. That'll help you. A little little wordplay, a little onomatopoeia. We need fewer presents and more presents. God Himself came to be with us on that first Christmas. He gave us himself. He gave us his presence. And we honor God most when we give generously like Jesus and we offer our time, talent, treasure, and touch to others. And giving the gifts of time and attention and focus are so important at Christmas time. We need his presence among us more than we need our presence wrapped and under the tree. Fewer presents, more presence. Christ's followers making relationships important again in the Advent season, being intentional about our investment in the lives of other people. That's the call of the Advent Conspiracy. I read the story this week of a young missionary teacher who was in Africa, a young single woman in her late 20s who was teaching a class to her students about Christmas. She had been trying to teach them to to read and write English and uh, she was teaching about Christmas and why Christians give presents to one another on Christmas Day. She said, we give gifts to express our joy over the birth of Jesus and for the salvation that he brought to the world. We do it to celebrate the relationship that we have with God and with each other, and those are made possible by God's good gift of Jesus. Well, on Christmas Day, one of the young boys in her class showed up at the teacher's house with this seashell that was incredibly beautiful, just astoundingly beautiful. And she said, where did you get such a beautiful shell? And she held it in her hands, just treasuring this precious gift. And the boy told her that there's only one spot where these shells could be found, and he named the place for her. And she knew the place was several miles away. And that the boy had no other means of transportation except for walking. She was overwhelmed with what he had done and she said, this gift is absolutely beautiful but you should not have walked all that way just to get it for me. And the little boy's eyes grew bright as she spoke and he replied in his broken English, long walk, part of gift. The effort, the intentionality is part of the gift. The thought behind it. We honor God most when we give generously, like Jesus, and we offer our time, talents, treasure, and touch to other people. And this Advent, I call you as Christ followers to combat the lie of the evil one, the lie of consumerism, which says, My want, my impulse is an actual need. It's not, it's a want, it's an impulse. I don't know about you. I struggle with this. Costco is of the devil. And I've been to Costco six times in the last 10 days. And always there's something either Jen or I forgot to get. I've got to go back to Costco. Here's what happens I go in the door, I'm going for the one thing. Suddenly, I need nine flashlights. I need a pack of nine flashlights. Thankfully, Costco has packs of nine flashlights. It's just crazy how compulsive you get when you go into a place. And then, and then the worst, the worst thing is not Costco for me. I get back in the van, and I'm headed home, and I pass four coffee shops. And I just want to blow six bucks on a cup of coffee for some reason. Because that makes sense, right? Because even though I've got coffee at home and I've got flavored creamer at home, something compelling me to spend $6 on a cup of coffee. And I fight all the way back to the freeway. Every time. I fight to get back on the freeway. I know if I can just get on the freeway, I can get home without spending $6 on a cup of coffee. It's crazy. It's crazy. I have to fight to remember that what my soul actually is desiring above all else is Jesus Not a cup cup of coffee. Not a pack of nine flashlights. I want to be satisfied in him. And my flesh is screaming out for cheap substitutes all the way home. The value of the gift is tied to the sacrifice required in order to give it. The value of the gift is tied to the sacrifice required in order to give it. There's a lesson here for us if we'll have it, because contentment is not based on my circumstances. Your contentment is not rooted in your situation or your circumstance. Philippians 4 Paul says this in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've received your con- you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, Paul says, because I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a coffee mug verse. Do you know what a coffee mug verse is? People take a section of a verse out of context and slap it on a coffee mug because it becomes their mantra. I can do all things. Dot, dot, dot. I can can go this morning and take that exam that I didn't study for because I can do all things, right? It's like, that's not what the verse says. (laughs) The verse is talking about contentment. I can be content in any situation. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, no matter what the circumstance. My circumstance, my situation does not dictate my level of contentment. Hebrews 13:5 is even more clear. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see the contrast? He says, Be content with what you have, because Jesus said, You've got me. When our hearts are discontent, when we foster the discontent, what we're saying is that Jesus is not enough for us. As saved, born-again Christ followers, it's like, you're good, and you're good, I'll give you that, but it's not enough. I need a $6 coffee. It's not enough. I need a pack of nine flashlights. It's not enough. Jesus is enough. And do you believe that, church? Do you believe it really deep down? That Jesus is enough? That he's more than enough for us? Because if we can grapple with that truth and really believe it and press into it, we can live in contentment. And that will begin to set us apart from the rest of the culture. And they go, what is wrong with you people? I'm content in Jesus. What are you even talking about? Content in Jesus. You see, contentment is a heart condition. It's a condition of the heart. It's grounded in the reality and the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. What he's done for us. Any contentment that's not rooted in who God is and what he's done for us is not true contentment. It's not going to last. It's an imposter. Usually it's apathy, which likes to masquerade as contentment because I just don't care right now. But don't worry. Apathy, the imposter, can't pose for very long. You grow discontent quickly enough, and that's the moment when you need to call out to the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I need you. I want to be content in you. Because it's about the motive of our hearts. It's about the motive of our hearts. Psalm 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has that is satisfied. Whoever has life in God rests satisfied, content. Isaiah 55, 2 and 3, Isaiah asks, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And your labor for that which doesn't satisfy. It's almost like he's speaking to American consumers at Christmas time. It's crazy. Why are you wasting your money on all this stuff that's not going to satisfy you? He says, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come and hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. It's Jesus. It's the everlasting covenant with Jesus. And I wanted to say this this morning as plain and as directly as possible, and I hope that your hearts are able to hear and listen and and, and embrace this truth. We will never find contentment in stuff. Never, never, never. You cannot buy fulfillment. It's impossible. Nor can you give... Contentment or fulfillment to any person that you love by the giving of gifts. You cannot give contentment to others. It is only through a close relationship with the one true and living God that anyone finds peace or contentment and fulfillment. And the irony of this is, the more we cling to the gifts and the stuff as a means of gaining contentment, we're actually increasing our stress and anxiety. We're actually on the hamster wheel we faster and faster and faster. What we need is closeness and proximity to God. So the question this morning is, how do we gain closeness and proximity? Well, interestingly enough, gratitude increases our proximity and nearness to God. It brings us close to him. It brings him close to us. Let me give you a couple of psalms this morning, just a little excerpt. Psalm uh, 95 two: enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you're, if you're coming into, if you're entering the gates, where are you going? You're going in. You're going into the courtyard, into the house, into the compound, into the place where he dwells. Enter his... Gaze with thanksgiving and his course with praise. That's the entry point to him. Psalm 100 verse four, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving ushers us into the presence of God. Like Just try it. Just try it and see what happens when you open up your heart in a fresh way to the Lord and you move beyond the normal, the canned, the almost obligatory phrases of praise and worship and start to really just get alone with the Lord and praise him in your heart and say thank you for your goodness to me. Thank you for giving me my family. Thank you for blessing me inordinately beyond most of the world's population today and down through history. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. Psalm sixty nine thirty says magnify him with thanksgiving magnify him I love what John Piper says about this concept about magnifying the Lord he says one way to magnify is to take something really small and to make it large to us through a microscope but that's not what's in view in Psalm 69 he says to magnify in Psalm 69 is to take something huge and to bring it close to us that we might see it in greater detail like when you look at the moon through a telescope a different kind of magnify, right? You take something huge, then you bring it close so that you can see it in greater detail. And that's the idea of drawing close to God, magnify Him, expressing gratitude to the Lord will magnify Him in your eyes and bring Him close to you. It gives you greater clarity, as to the intricacies of who he is and it brings us to this place where just our faith can can believe it but but also our heart can sense it and feel it such that we experience his nearness it's not just cognitive it becomes experiential and that's what we want we want the nearness of the presence of the reality of jesus more than anything else and Thanksgiving paves the way into his presence. So just give you three quick application points here at Christmas this week. Number one, worship Jesus at Christmas. Worship Jesus. Do it alone. Get alone and worship Jesus this week. Do it in groups. Get with some friends and worship Jesus this week. We PJ's Pancakes and Praises at 5.30 today. Uh, awesome opportunity for you to worship Jesus at Christmas. Spend time in the book of Psalms this week, especially. Read the Christmas text out of the Gospels. Google Old Testament Christmas prophecies and do some research and let it blow your mind. Over 300 predictive prophecies about the first coming of Messiah. 308 to be exact. All perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus, things that you can 't control, like where you're going to be born. Right? Amazing, amazing. So worship Jesus at Christmas number two. Slow down. Slow down. Unplug. That was for me, not for you. I'm put the cell phone aside. I turn the computer off. Unplug. Play some board games. Now, my philosophy of board games is the reason why they're called board games. I'm not a big fan of board games, but I'm going to play board games this week, or at least one. I'll play a board game. Build a fire. If you don't have a fireplace, don't do that. (laughs) Do it outside. Build a fire. Watch some Christmas movies bundled under some blankets with your family. Go for a walk. Get out and hike. Slow down. Worship Jesus. Slow down. And spend time with people with the intent of being a blessing. Look for ways to bless people and for opportunities to make Jesus known. You know, especially this time of year, it's just as simple as asking, how can I pray for you today? the percentage of people that respond to me with get away from me you freak when i ask that question is very small it's very small how can i pray for you this week almost everybody i talk to says you know you could pray for this thing and then i follow up with this question can i just stop and pray for you right now would that be okay yeah some people are okay with that some people no no i'm not really okay with that it's fine i'm going to i'm going to pray anyway right pray for people Spend time with people. Show appreciation for the people in your life. Cards, notes, small gifts. If you haven't begun this already, it's not too late. But, but when you do this, when you, when you appreciate people and show gratitude and try to connect with people, you, if, if you're not doing those things, you're missing God's will for you and his rich blessings for you. You're missing blessings. And I have to fight. I have to fight to remember what my, my soul actually desires and needs above all else is Jesus. Not the cheap substitute. Remember that the value of the gift is tied to the sacrifice required in order to give that gift, especially that first Christmas. And there's a lesson there for us if we'll hear it this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And I ask for that grace to be upon every person, every family here that this week especially. We would stop and worship you. We would give you praise in our hearts, alone, in groups. We'd slow down. We'd stop the hustle and the bustle and we'd just slow down and be with people and spend time with people and enjoy people. And the intention of our heart would be that we might be a blessing in the name of Jesus to others. And I trust you to lead every person here into the application of those things in their situations, in their context. But Lord, that's our prayer today. As we conspire at Advent to be more like you and to try to bring you back to the place of prominence and, and centrality in this whole thing we call Christmas. We use your name in Christmas. But we really want you to be the centerpiece, Lord. So would you give us grace to do that? We ask these things in your name. Amen.